0: All right, so we did talk about generations yesterday, and we talked about the greatest generation, and then where you know the group called the lost generation or the silent generation, and then you know the baby boomers and the Gen Xers and all. And uh, doing a little survey here: How many of you lived in a world that didn't have radio? Anybody? Anybody here? <laughs> lived in a world. Didn't mean you didn't have a radio in your house, but there was no radio invented when you were around, okay? There's no radio. Okay, how many of you lived in a world where there was no television? There was no television. Yeah, a lot of you probably did if you you lived in the 30s and 40s. No television. How many of you lived in a world where there was no personal computers in the home? Yeah, a lot of us, right? A lot of us. And we could go on and we could talk about how many of you lived in a world without um, you know, mobile phones or the internet. It's, it's one of these things that you know, we don't think about. I remember how weird it was when my dad would tell me stories about how they got their first TV, right? Because as far as I was concerned, TV has always been there. It's like God, it's eternal. It was there. When I was first aware that there was a God and it was always going to be there, that's how it was. And that's how we kind of, you know, think about things. If it was there from our earliest recollections, it was always there. And we cannot really imagine a world that existed without these things. And they would talk about how they would get that, that black and white TV. And if, and if you were the family that got the first one, everybody would come to your house to watch the little kind of cloudy picture that, you know, we would find totally unacceptable. If we had that same picture today, we'd be calling Oceanic or Spectrum. Hey, what's wrong with my TV, right? Different worlds. And it becomes commonplace. And so we think about this often from, if we're older, we think about it from the perspective of, oh man, I don't want to learn new stuff. I don't want to learn how to use that smartphone. I don't want to learn how to go on the internet. I don't want to learn how to use a computer. But we also have to think about it from this other perspective, this perspective of people who, who don't know what it was like. They're these children who have never known a world without the internet. They've never known a world with, you know, without smartphones. It's always been there. And you have to know that this does something to the way we think about things. It's really not the reason I'm telling you that today. I'm, telling you this because, you know, we've been talking about Ephesians and about this great mystery that's going to be revealed. But of course, this mystery was revealed 2,000 years ago. And so we cannot imagine a world where this mystery wasn't known because we've known the mystery. We've lived in the mystery. We've benefited from the mystery. And so in some ways, it's not a mystery to us. It's hard for us to think that when these words were first read what it did to the people who read them. How it, how it reached into their hearts and it connected with something that, that they thought they would never know, they would never experience. And there it is. And so it's put in the Bible as this great mystery. But I'm going to tell you this. In a different way, which we'll talk about later, it's still a mystery today. It's still a mystery today, not because we don't know, but because we've kind of confused it. And I think we've even sometimes downplayed it and not really understood how it's just as powerful a mystery today, just as powerful a miracle today as it was 2000 years ago. And this mystery is something that speaks to our world today, because this mystery tells us the only hope for our world to be united, especially the world that we face today that's pushing more and more for individual freedom. There's more and more a push, as you, if you remember yesterday, we talked talking about the generations, more and more move towards individual rights, individual freedom above society, above the community, above the group. And as that, as that keeps pushing and keeps moving, we're going to reach a point. We're going to reach a point where there is no basis for unity. We're going to push so hard for freedoms that there will be no good reason for us to be united. Because what we know is that unity means that I have to compromise some of my freedoms if you say, like, well, you know, um, the basis for unity will be defending our individual freedoms. Really? So what are you going to have to do to defend your individual freedoms? You're going to have to give up some of your individual freedoms. It's part of the problem that we find today, especially what's being, you know, you know taught sometimes in some of our, our universities and universities. Um, you know, even kind of been put out there in, in social media and things about, you know, how terrible our country is, how terrible our nation is. We, you know, we should just, you know, just get rid of it or do it all over. It's like, do you really understand? Do you really understand that, that it takes giving up individual freedom to have any basis for unity, That's the world we find ourselves in. And it's not a new thing. What kind of tensions existed throughout history? Maybe not talked about as much. And maybe not pushed to the extreme that we find today. But it's where we are. So here's Paul. Paul, the apostle, writing to uh, his favorite church. Remember, this is the church he spent three years with. This is the church that he loves so much, he didn't even want to tell them goodbye. He was afraid if he tried to tell them goodbye that he would stay and he would never leave and he would never do what God had called him to do. And so he's been talking about this great exalted Christ and then he talked about us and how we were dead in our sins and how Christ came and and made us new to the point that that we, the church, are his workmanship And finally, here he's going to tell them specifically what the great mystery is. And so, in chapter uh, Ephesians, chapter three, verse thirteen verses, it says this: For this reason, I Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul is the first one ever to write these words. These these Christians at Ephesus, they're the first ones to read them. All along, there's this doubt. All along, there's this sense of, yeah, we're following this Jewish Messiah, but we're not Jewish. And and had they not followed the Jewish Messiah, and had they just been following the, the Jewish God, There was always this sense that we're always going to be second class. They're always going to be above us because they're the chosen people and we're not. We're just kind of connecting with them. And there was this sense of, yes, we're grateful for being here, but we also recognize we will always be at a lower level. We will never be fully accepted. Then they read these words. Then they read, Gentiles are fellow heirs. You know what he's saying? He's saying you're not just, you know, you're not just the adopted son, the adopted daughter who gets to kind of be there, but you're not really part of the family. He's saying your fellow heirs, you share in all the riches, the blessings of being God's people, all of it. You are accepted. You're still aliens in this world, but you're not aliens in the household of God. And for us, it just, it doesn't necessarily have that same impact because we've always lived with this knowledge It was never in doubt for us. When we became Christians, we never thought we were second class. We always knew we were fully accepted. But you have to know that that in this time, it's incredible. It's something they'd never heard before. It's great, awesome, surprising, powerful. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's telling them, he's saying, saying, "This this was a special ministry given to me. They, they, they had been this fight in the church. It's the earliest, you know, one of the earliest disputes in the church is that a lot of the people who had, uh, the Jewish people who had become Christians, Some, some of them, not a lot of them, some of them had been Pharisees. And they convert to Christianity, they accept Jesus Christ, but they're still pharisees They've invested their whole lives into following the law and and living according to, you know, the, the, the food laws and the sacrificial laws and everything. And they understand Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't understand yet how thoroughly he has come to change everything. And so they do what we would have done. They do what we always do. Someone becomes a Christian, and we want them to become like us. In fact, we sometimes judge their Christianity on how much they are like us or how much they are like what we idealize. And that's what they do. We sometimes you know, give these, these uh, people like a hard time. The Bible sometimes calls, calls them Judaizers. And we sometimes give them a really hard time, but at their heart, they're just like us. I guarantee you, if I could just bring like about 10 people who were at the church that we were at in Texas, and I could bring them here, I guarantee you, it would be unsettling for some people. Those 10 would have more tattoos and piercings than all the rest of you combined. Every one of them had a story. And some of them were still in the middle of that story. Every one had come out of some kind of drug abuse or alcohol abuse or criminal background every single one of them and if if we have people like that sometimes we're like oh I can't wait till they're just like me I can't wait until they're 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 kind of cleaned up and that's not really the gospel you see the judaizers were saying welcome gentiles please come Now become just like us. Now follow all our rules. Now make all our sacrifices. Now be circumcised. That's really not what the gospel was. It's not what the gospel came to do. It came to make us the same, but not in the way that we might think. So when we look at this text, what do we see? Well, we see the first thing in this text. It says that this was revealed. Revealed in the Bible, when the Bible talks about revealed, it means something that you could not come to on your own. This is hard for us to understand because again, we've lived with this mystery for 2,000 years. Ever since you've been a church, ever since you heard about Christianity, you've probably heard this mystery. You, you've heard about how, how God is the God of all people and Jesus came to save the entire world, not just, not just the chosen people of Israel. You've lived with that for 2,000 years. It's hard for you to know that you could not have imagined that yourself. that you couldn't have come to that on your own. It's hard to think like that. You ever think about your kids, for example, and you see your kids and, and, and then you think about the name you gave to your children, but then you think about the names you thought about giving to your children, and the names that maybe other people suggested to give to your children. I remember Cheryl's mom when our first daughter was being hatched. She thought it would have been a good idea, good idea to name her Sandy, because she thought Sandy Sanders sounded really good. <laughs> I cannot imagine my daughter with the name Sandy. But it's, it's interesting. When we think about the names we could have given, rarely do we say, I should have chosen a different name. Most of the time we go, I can't imagine this person with any other name. And it's the same thing here. We we can't imagine that we could not have known this. Just like we couldn't imagine our kid with any other name, it's almost like they were destined to have that name. We can't imagine there was ever a time when we could not have thought that there's the God over all. And that the Savior came to save the entire world. You couldn't have thought of it. But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's revealed. It's revealed because you could not have come to this on your own. It was revealed to him. There's no way he could have known. In fact, we know Peter in Acts, it's recorded that it's revealed to Peter. Peter could not accept this on, on his own. Because it goes against everything that, that we think you should do if you want to grow a group. Um, you know, I don't know that they still teach this, but I remember in the 80s and 90s when they were training pastors to grow churches. One of the things they would say is go to a community of people just like you and build the church around people just like you. You know what? I have no doubt that that's a way to grow a church for most people. It won't work for me because I'm so weird. I don't know that there's anybody just like me out there. I can't find that community. But I know some people can. They can find the community of people just like them. And the church can grow because it's music they like, it's things that, that they find interesting, it's, it's communication styles that, that they get, it's, it's the building, it's everything it's stuff they like and it's familiar and I've seen churches like that and they've grown, they've become huge but it's not it's not the church that we find in the New Testament in fact the advice should have been the opposite. Go to the place that's most unlike you and then let God's power be unleashed. Go see what God will do when you're in around people you don't understand and who do not understand you. It's not the way to grow a church fast, but it's the way to grow a church according to the Bible. The mystery needs to be revealed. We could not have come to it on our own. God needed to tell us. And thankful, thankfully for us, Paul recorded it. And we can read it 2,000 years later, because otherwise we would not come to this on our own. The second thing that we see here, we see, as, we, as Paul has been talking about throughout the first couple chapters here, And he continues here that this is not just about you. And it's not just about me. And it's not just about this group. But this is God's eternal plan for the universe. He didn't just make it up as he went along. It wasn't like, oh man, plan A didn't go right. Need to go to plan B. He's not scrambling. This has always been the plan. It has always been the plan that he wants to establish a kingdom, a kingdom that is as diverse as humanity is diverse. He wants to establish a kingdom that's united by his holy love. That's what he's looking to do. It's always been the plan. It's never been anything else. And I think that's part of the problem I think sometimes we have in Christianity. And it's why I think sometimes people walk down false paths of Christianity. It's because Christianity has been made all about you. It's been made all about Jesus' love affair with you and how much he loves you so much. And don't let me, you know, don't don't misunderstand me. Jesus does love you. He loves you more than you could ever know. But here's here's the secret, maybe you don't know. He doesn't love only you. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved you. It says, for God so loved the world. And if I fall in love with Jesus... And Jesus loves me, then I'm going to love the things Jesus loves. And if Jesus loves the world, I'm going to love the world the way he does. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. Again, this isn't the way you build a church fast. The way you build a church fast is is I play upon the same way... uh, uh, A store or a product or a company plays upon you. They create a need in you and they say we can meet the need. And so the easiest need to meet in you is, you know, maybe you feel like, you know, life is hopeless, I don't have joy, I don't have love, I don't have purpose. So I can fill that in for you, and you can come every every Sunday and you can feel better about your own life. That's the message that grows churches fast. It's not the gospel. The gospel says Christ came to save you so that you could become part of the kingdom that advances into this world and changes this world. It's not so you could have your, your safe spot, your place, you've got your, your reservations on, on the spaceship to heaven. No. As we talked about with Caleb, it's about, it's about, being able to to say my inheritance is that he gives me a job. My inheritance is that he loves me so much that he gives me work to do. Not eternal rest. Oh, it's eternal rest in him. But it's eternal rest that involves Activity, doing, going out, advancing the kingdom. And that's the point when he says in verse 6 this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's saying, through Jesus Christ, God will unite all who believe. All who believe. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he will unite you. It's this mystery. This mystery that that had been unrevealed. Now it's revealed. That Jesus Christ is the only hope for a unity in this world that doesn't break down into anarchy, that doesn't have to become totalitarian. The only hope is that if we find our unity in this faith in Jesus Christ, but understand, Understand, this isn't just faith, this isn't just intellectual assent, this isn't just I have right beliefs and I have this knowledge in my head, because it results in something. It's belief that results in something, there's a consequence to the belief. I don't know if you ever went to the, you ever watched or went to one of those Harlem Globetrotter, you know, basketball games, and they always do the same joke where, where they have the bucket and they throw it and then there's paper in it, Right? But eventually they throw it and there's water. Well, a lot of Christians, they they want the Christian bucket with paper. Oh, you can throw it at me and I'll receive it, but it doesn't make me wet. True Christianity, true faith will result in something. Like water will make you wet true faith will put inside of you this powerful, awesome, impossible love of God. And you cannot help but express it to those around you, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ right here. But even more so, beyond this place. You see, for this mystery to not just be revealed and to be intellectually understood, but for this mystery to be experienced, we have to be willing to be changed. We have to be willing not to live according to the ways of the world. We have to be willing to set aside the politics and set aside the greed and the power and the pride. We have to set that aside. And our motivation, our motivation is to bring glory to God. To give this gospel message, not to show the world, hey, we're right, but to help the world know what we know. That this true sense of unity that transcends all man-made barriers, it only comes through Jesus Christ. You see, this is radical for for different reasons than simply the message of the cross. You know, the kind of prevailing thought of the time of that Roman period in the first century is there there were a lot of philosopher types and others who, who were atheists. They didn't believe in God at all. And some of them believed in a kind of a God force. They, they, they believed maybe there was one God force that united the universe and things like that. They might have believed in that. And a lot of them, if they thought about God, they thought about God in the sense of a, of a regional God or a national God, or even broken down to God's just specific to certain cities. And that's what they thought about. And so even though the Old Testament, which would have been the Hebrew scriptures, clearly you know, say that God is the God of all. He's all-powerful. It really wasn't the prevailing thought of the day. That's why this is a mystery. This is why it's radical. God is not simply saying, I am the God of all gods. He's saying, I am the only God. There are no other gods. And he's not saying, I'm just the God of this, these people, these Israelites. I'm the God of all creation, the entire universe, every particle. I am that God. Radical thoughts, there is no rival. But I don't think we still fully appreciate how scandalous this was. Because if you were going to say, my God is the most powerful God, right, then it would have to be demonstrated by you being the most powerful nation. I remember taking world history at at, the University of Hawaii, and we were going through Chinese history, and I asked the professor, I said, because each one of the, the dynasties believed that they were favored by God. That was, you know, common as he was going through, I was like... Okay, every every single one of them says that. And so I asked him, how did they know they were favored by God? And he said, because they won. Because they were in power. That's the way the world thinks. The world thinks... The most powerful God must belong to the most powerful nation, the most powerful people, the most powerful city. The most powerful God must be connected to the most successful group. And if you, if you aren't paying attention to what goes on, sometimes even in our Christian culture, that belief is there. I haven't, I'm not gonna tell you I watch a lot of Christian movies But the Christian movies I watch, if it's about sports, it always ends with them winning. It always ends with the proof that God was faithful is because they won the big game. That is not proof that God is faithful. That is a world standard. Oh, we won. We're successful. That means God loves us. doesn't mean God loves you. Because you're successful. Understand, in this time, how scandalous this is. The God of the Israelites, this is a small, tiny nation in a small part of the world, and they've been conquered. And they haven't just been a little conquered. They've been conquered for over 100 years. Paul is saying that God of those little people who have been conquered by the Romans is the most powerful God, is the only God, is the almighty God. The world has an easy response to that. Why are his people so poor? Why are his people enslaved? Why are his people so small when compared to the Roman Empire? Oh, if this was the Roman God, okay, I get that. But you're making this incredibly scandalous claim that the God of a defeated, broken people in kind of the backwoods of the empire, that this is the God of the universe. Are you nuts? That's why it was a mystery. It's not something we would come to on our own. And I love that about God. I'm not saying God doesn't doesn't enjoy a good Super Bowl. Not going to say that. Not going to say that Philadelphia Eagles win. Maybe he thinks God wanted them to win. Not going to say that. But I'm going to say this. God loves the losers as much as he loved the winners. Because winning and losing is not... It's not what it's about. It's about faithfulness. I am living for the day. And when it happens, I'm going to record it, and I'll play it for you. I'm living for the day when a professional athlete loses the big game. And when they're interviewed after the game, and they're, and they're Christians, and they, when they're interviewed after the game, the first thing that person says is, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for even allowing me to be here. You only hear that from the winners. And so that's proof of their faith. We have to be careful of that. Oh, it's the way to grow a fast church. If it looks like we're winning, more people want to join us. But it's not about winning the world. It's about being faithful. And so, this last part, he picks it up in verse 10. After he tells us that this mystery was hidden for ages in God, this isn't a new plan. Then he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear what he says. Through the church. Why are we here? Why does he save us? It is so that through the church, the church isn't some organization that's above us. It's not leadership. It's not some invisible thing of you know believers. The church, overwhelmingly in the New Testament, when Paul uses the word church, he is talking about a local church. You church. You church. Through you. God is going to reveal his wisdom. He's going to reveal his plan. He is going to show the world the way if they would follow him, if they would allow his spirit to come into their lives, if they would have faith in Jesus Christ, and if they would be changed, he's going to show them this is how the world can be. This is unity. This is peace. Through the church. And in case you're missing the point. Through us. Through all of us. You see, as long as my Christianity is just about me. I can never move to understanding what God's real purpose is. If it's all about me, then it's hard for me to forgive. But if I realize in forgiving someone who's wronged me, I'm actually showing the world a different way, I'm revealing God to this world. Takes on a bigger picture. When I, when I was coaching at, at Kalani, you know, um, one of the things I preached from day one was this is a team sport. Track and field is a team sport because you know all, most times track athletes think of it as individual sports. No, it's a team sport. And I kind of laid the foundation. And later in the season, one of our best runners was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I wanna do this race and this relay and everything. And the appeal to her was, yeah, if this is just about you, You shouldn't do the race. But if it's about the team, and not just the team this year, but the team in years to come, when they think back to your example, then you should run. She ran. Because she decided it wasn't just about her. It wasn't just about the fact that she was gonna win and she was gonna get medals. She thought about the team. That's what we're called to. We're called to, to think more than just this is about me and about my life. God uses the church to reveal to the world his plan. He makes us important. We don't make ourselves important. We don't say like, oh God, you need us. We're important to you. No, he makes us important. He has decided to make us an important part of his plan. I don't know why. Sometimes I think God is crazy to trust us. But he does. Our unity is not the end. Our unity is a revelation. And you see, this is why Gentiles, Jewish people coming together, why it was so important to his plan. Because if it's just the Jewish people, or if it's just the Gentile people, okay. But he's bringing together people who found each other repulsive. They, they didn't like each other. They, they judged each other. And God is saying, Jesus Christ came to tear that down. And we knew people who were formally opposed to one another, who formerly could, formerly could not stand to be together, are not just together, but you're in love with one another. That's the power. That's the revelation. That's the display. We talked a little bit about this downstairs, but, but it's, it's one of the, you know, things about we're, we're to be the people of grace. But if we're all the same, if we're all the same, there's less reason to show Grace. If we all have the same interests, if we go and, you know, um, have potlucks and it's all the same kind of food, there's less of a need to show grace. There's less of a possibility of misunderstanding. You know, we talked about the generations and how the younger generation finds finds it almost rude to call somebody on the phone. A lot of times when, when like millennials and younger people call me, they apologize. Oh, sorry, I have to call you. It's like, why? You need to talk to me, talk to me. But older generation, my generation, I find it rude if you're gonna tell me something important and text it to me. I wanna say you didn't have the decency to call. So wife, if you ever break up with me, call me, don't text. But it's it's two different generations, two different ideas, leads to misunderstanding, leads to problems. But when we're all the same, we don't need we don't need grace. We don't need it as much. If we if if we can get everybody kind of in the same kind of uniform. Same interests, same attitudes, same personalities. Ah, less chance for problems. God's like, no, here's what my church is. My church is getting together all the weird, strange people, putting them all together, and letting my spirit do something miraculous. Doesn't matter what generation. Doesn't matter what ethnicity. Doesn't matter what gender doesn't matter how rich or how poor how educated or uneducated I'm going to bring them all together and I'm going to do something miraculous the question we have to ask ourselves is do we like that plan do we want to be a part of that plan or do we not like that plan and we would rather just kind of stay in our safe world and our individual understanding of Christianity and just kind of want to be around stuff that's familiar. I'll tell you this. If God is going to do something in our church to reach our community, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to deal with people we think are strange. We have to, use the phrase from the 70s, decide to get out of the comfort zone. And that's when you're going to see grace show up. And just let me tell you this one last thought. The Bible talks about unity. It talks about love. But you hear me use this phrase, holy love? Let me just help you understand. Love is not just agreeing with whatever anybody wants to do. Love is not looking past people's sin. No. If we truly love... We are going to eventually confront someone on their sin. Otherwise, it's not love. There's still the idea of holiness. There's still the premium placed on what it means to truly be Christ-like and to follow after God. It's not just holy. It's not just love. It's a holy love that only comes from God, that holds us together.